thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. The passage today is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9, uh, called Hero Israel or um, the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The love, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today to, are to be on your, on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Sonia. I think, uh, Peter, you did uh, Morland South last year, didn't you? You did Morland South at Padstow? So if you want to find... Highly recommends it. Look at that. And I wasn't even teaching it. So, that's, uh, uh, so if you want to know a little bit more, chat to me about Morning South or you know, Peter. He can uh, give you a little bit more of the, the down low on it. I'm looking forward to uh, doing some of my lecturing a little bit closer to home personally. So uh, if you'd like to know more about that, uh, certainly be a part of that. Uh, as uh, Jodine mentioned, we are uh, continuing this series looking at some cultural issues, things that are going on in our world, and trying to think about them from the perspective of faith. And I want to have a bit of a look today at uh, some of the issues facing our young people, but I don't necessarily want to try to address those issues. I don't want to try to speak, shall I say, to young people, at least this morning, that's uh, for this evening's uh, message. But I do want to think f- for us, or help us think about how we um, meet our, one of our strategic priorities. Uh, So as a community of faith, a little over a year ago, uh, we set as one of our strategic priorities youth and families, and particularly young people. And what we wanted to do in that was to help young people own their faith and participate in what God was doing. That, that's the decision that we made. It took us a while to kind of uh, work out what we meant uh, and uh, to set some initial goals. And we've still got a lot of work to do in that area as we move into that space. But I want us to kind of think a little bit about uh, the role that we have as a community of faith to help young people uh, find their faith, own their faith, and accept the invitation that God has given to them. And I want to kind of start as a bit of a basis for that with this uh, Mission Australia Youth Survey. They've been running it for 17 years, so 2018 was the 17th year. They had just over 28,000 young people between the ages of 15 and 19 uh, complete this survey, uh, asking a wide variety of questions about young people, uh, what they uh, are thinking about, what concerns them, uh, how they understand the world, all of those sorts of things. Uh, And when I first sat down and chatted with um, Matt Willis, our Youth and Young Adults Coordinator, uh, he kind of pulled up the uh, survey on his phone. You can download it if you'd like to read it. It's quite interesting uh, information. And he kind of scanned through the uh, kind of the executive summary, the kind of three points, four points, and he kind of went, yep, 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 yep. Uh, So, you know, from his perspective, it sounds like spot on. And, And to some degree, there's a whole bunch in it that isn't going to surprise you if you read it through. So for instance, it's probably not going to surprise you that the things that young people value, the top three things they value are family relationships, friendships, and a satisfying uh, kind of study or school experience. That if young people have good relationships with their families, good friendships, and are enjoying themselves at school, 
well, that's a pretty good start to life, right? That's not going to surprise us too much because it's the centerpieces of most kids' lives, isn't it? Most young people are still living with their family. Uh, they're engaging with lots of uh, their friends, and they're taking up with most of their time in school. And so that's not that surprising. Uh, and, and to some degree, more surprising are some of their concerns that they feel Australia are, is, is experiencing. So one of the questions that they asked was, uh, from the perspective of young people, what are the kind of most significant issues that Australia faces? And it was kind of intriguing that their number one was mental health, uh, number two was drugs and alcohol, and number three was equity and discrimination. Those kind of the three issues that from, uh, from you know, 28,000 young people across Australia, they felt those were the most pressing issues facing Australia which I think is helpful for us when we're then thinking about some of the issues that we're working through as a wider community of faith. Think about mental health for a moment. You know, for, for many of us, we know that in the last 10, 15 years, the language around mental health has changed radically, hasn't it? There's been an enormous growth and understanding of mental health. Not that we fully understand it, but there's a, a greater understanding. There's far less stigma associated with kind of saying, oh, listen, I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling anxious or I'm going through some sort of uh, mental health concern. We're a lot more aware of it now, aren't we? But from the perspective of young people, it would seem that there's still a long way for us to continue to go. Right? We can still be thinking about how we talk about that, how we address it, and particularly within the context of faith, how we then think about mental health and faith. How do those things relate? I think that's a pretty critical question for us. Drugs and alcohol, I think you know, it's one of those kind of standard concerns, but it means that how we think, talk, act around those sorts of substances becomes a fairly important discussion. And equity and discrimination likewise. I don't know if you've spoken to many young people about things like um, immigration, for instance, or refugees, or about the whole LGBT community. But it seems to me that quite often the concerns are not so much with safe borders or immigration policies as it is with equity and discrimination. Similarly, when we talk about sexuality, the concerns are less about the morality questions and more about equity and discrimination. And so again, from the perspective of faith, we need to be trying to work out how do we have conversations about morality, but recognize that for young people in particular, equity and discrimination, how are people being treated is actually a really important part of the overall discussion. And so how we address those issues is going to be kind of shaped by the concerns that young people have. You with me on that one? But I think that the thing I want to begin to focus on a little bit more are the areas of personal concern. So they asked young people, uh, what are you most concerned about? What are the kind of the things that concern you personally and individually? And I'm going to give you a few stats here, but I'm going to try to keep it fairly simple if I can. Here are the top three. 43%, uh, so just under half of the 28,000 young people surveyed between the ages of 15 and 19, identified coping with stress as their kind of number one priority, as a, their personal concern. Uh, dealing with stress was a really big deal. Uh, number two, uh, this was experienced by 34%, uh, was study or school problems, right? So they value having a really good experience at school, but when things go badly at school, whether it's in study or whether it's in relationships, that creates an enormous amount of personal concern. And then just underneath that at 31% was issues of mental health. So young people, kind of the three areas of greatest concern, coping with stress, school and study problems, 
and mental health. Number four and five were body image and physical health. Now, here's the interesting thing, thing about that. Uh, both young men and young women identified those three in that order. Young men, young women uh, saw coping with stress, uh, work and school issues, and mental health as one, two, and three. Young women placed body image at number four, while uh, young men placed it in fifth. Instead, young men placed physical health at number four, and then body image at number five. And in terms of uh, even some of the gender differences uh, within coping with stress, uh, apparently it's, uh, it, young men don't realize how much stress they are under. Uh, 56% of young women identified coping with stress as an pr area of primary concern, but only 26% of young men felt that they were in equal situations of stress. So I don't know what that says about young men or about young women or about our world, really, to tell you the truth. Uh, similarly, school and study problems, more young women found that to be problematic than young men, and likewise with mental health, but the closer kind of gaps between them. Now, again, I don't want to take any time now to try to unpack how we help young people deal with stress. Uh, that, that's probably, I'm not sure that's a, a sermon, uh, and I'm not sure I would do it much justice in a sermon. I, I don't really want to talk much about school problems and how you kind of handle that uh, with your kids. Uh, and I don't want to talk about mental health uh, in 10 minutes because that would be to do it in a grave disservice. But I do want to talk about what it means for us as a community of faith to begin to help and uh, engage the young people in our community, not just those who are 15 to 19, but all of our young people, to help them own their faith. What, is, what does this kind of stuff mean for us? And I think there's a few things that are pretty critical, and then I think that there's a theological foundation, and then I think there's some implications. So let me start with the critical piece. If you take those three areas of personal concern, coping with stress, uh, school problems, uh, and mental health, and you changed the word school and changed it to work, how different are young people's concerns to old people's concerns? Like, uh, uh, anyone else deal with stress occasionally? Uh, anyone else have problems at work? I mean, I, I mean, I don't. I work at a church, so we never, never have problems at work, right? But I hear some of you do, right? Uh, you know, Right, like all of us have to deal with things that happen at work, with relationships that go well or perhaps don't go so well, with uh, big projects and the stress of those deadlines and all that kind of stuff. And while we might not say that coping, our stress might be a financial stress rather than a stress of relationships or schoolwork or deciding which university to go, but is it that different? Are, are any of us that different from the concerns that young people express? I don't think we really are. You know, trying to kind of, you know, remain healthy, both physically and mentally, while we deal with the pressures and stresses that we are under, the expectations and things that we have to deal with at work, and that's pretty standard stuff. Which means that while young people might dress differently, listen to different music, understand technology in a, in a better way, and talk a language that none of us really understand, we're pretty much the same. And so there's an enormous uh, opportunity for us to actually develop relationship with young people because we're dealing with the same sorts of things. And it's not just true in terms of stress and mental health and work problems or whatnot. It's also true in relationship to faith, isn't it? I mean, while we may, some of us have been following Jesus a lot longer than some of the young people in the in context of our church, I mean, seriously, we deal with the same sorts of issues, don't we? Does anyone else ever have doubts? Everyone's just gone stony-faced. A couple of people have gone, no, 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 never. 
Of course we do. I mean, in our, in our earlier service, um, uh, when we were led in prayer, one of the components of the prayer was just to kind of reflect on our world and the brokenness of our world and the injustices and the poverty and the, and the slavery and just all that's wrong. And if that doesn't raise doubts about, so where is God in the midst of that? Then you're not thinking about it hard enough. And so faith and doubt are not mutually exclusive. We have to kind of allow them to coexist. And that's true whether you're 15 or 45. Like it's the, it's the same kind of stuff. Anyone else have any problems trying to figure out how to live a holy, godly life in our society? Yeah. And okay, the pressures that we face as 35-year-olds or 50-year-olds or 70-year-olds may be very, very different than the pressure a 17-year-old faces. But the issue is still the same, seeking to be holy. Uh, Have you ever tried to figure out what it is that God's calling you to? That's not something that just happens in your gap year. It's not something that you just grapple with in year 12 and you never revisit it. I mean, God is always inviting us, always inviting us, always inviting us to participate with Him. How do we discern the voice of God? Is it any clearer now than it was when you were 18? Everything seems a lot more kind of when you're young, but God's still speaking, And we just have to be able to recognize that. And so again, within the context of faith, there's a whole bunch of space that we have capacity to engage in. And can I just say about coping with stress? The stress that young people face is is different than the the stress that you face as a parent or as a grandparent or as someone who is working or running a company or whatever it might be. That's certainly the case. But young people today, I think, face stress in a way that, at least when I was young, I didn't. Uh, I read a book last year called Growing Young, uh, talking about how churches can uh, be a little bit more proactive in their engagement with, with the next generation. And one of the, the, the really intriguing things that they talked about was the fact that for young people today, the, 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 the starting line for adulthood is earlier and the finish line is later. Right? So think about the kind of the traditional markers that you've become an adult, right? The traditional markers. Moved out of house, got married, had some kids, right? Whether you felt like an adult or not, those were the three markers, right? And young people today are marrying later, having kids later, and never leaving home, (laughs) right? So the traditional markers are later, but the starting line is earlier as well. You know, I've got three daughters. They're right in the sweet spot of this survey, 14, 16, and 19. And, and some of the decisions that they have to make and some of the expectations that are placed upon them, I didn't experience until I was well into my 20s. And they're making really significant decisions about schooling. They're just, there's more options, there's more opportunities perhaps than when I was young. I don't know what it is, but they're making really significant decisions. And so as a community of faith, We actually have to help young people handle that stress and handle those expectations and make those decisions and also help them explore what it means to live holy lives, listening to God, while adulthood, the traditional markers of it, might might take longer. So it's a really significant thing for us to be able to come alongside them. And it's actually here that I want to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I mentioned that there's a significant implication or a consequence that we can relate to those who are young because we share many of the same sorts of things, although they may be different in scale and consequence. But there's also then a theological foundation, and it's found in these verses in Deuteronomy. We don't spend a lot of time in Deuteronomy, but if you do, you may have heard these these verses before. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. And then talks about how you should go about doing that. And so you have this kind of wonderful statement of faith, don't you? The Lord our God is one. We have this incredible declaration, a good summary statement of what it means to live in a relationship with God, to love Him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And then we have this statement, seemingly to parents, about their children and press them upon your children. But I actually want to focus less on the impress word and more on them. Impress them on your children. What is Moses referring to when he says them? Well, it's just in the previous verse. These commandments that I give you today. These commandments. The commandments that have been given to you in the rest of Deuteronomy. The Ten Commandments and all the other bits, if you've ever read through Deuteronomy, right? All the stuff that's found in the latter part of Exodus, all the stuff in Leviticus, all the stuff in Numbers, all that, that's what you are to impress upon them. And here's, I think, the important theological foundation. There is no child version of the law. It's one law for everyone. It's one law for everyone. If we looked at the New Testament household codes, you know, the ones that do the whole uh, wives submit to your husbands piece, that's usually when we stop thinking about them, right? Uh, but th- th- those are remarkable because they often will include not only speaking to men who in that context had influence and status and power and whatnot, but also speaking to women who did not have nearly as much influence or status or power in the first century, but also then speaking to slaves who would even less, and in the case in Colossians, speaking to children. And what's so significant about that is it's as if Paul is saying, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you think about yourself, you are all invited to participate with what God is doing. Whether you are a husband, a wife, a slave, a son or a daughter, you are all invited to participate. Same thing here. Is there an age when children are not allowed to listen to and respond to the invitation of God. Your four-year-old granddaughter or grandson comes up to you and says, I'd like to pray. You say, I'm sorry, you're not nearly old enough. Can you tell me a little bit about your Christology? And I'd like to know what you think about the Trinity right now. Uh, Can you talk me through your understanding of free will and uh, sovereignty of God? I'd like to make sure you got that theology right. What are you going to do if a four-year-old comes up and says, I would like to pray? Aren't you going to pray with them? Aren't you going to ask them to pray? Why is that? Is it a fully formed prayer? Is it a fully formed faith? Probably not. The the issue is they've responded in some way, in a childlike way, to the invitation of God. And who are we to stand in the way? So it means that one of the challenges that we face, and I think here's, here's where I want to kind of talk about these challenges. One of the challenges we face with a strategic priority that's about helping young people own their faith is we tend to treat young people like children. We treat them as if they, you know, aren't nearly developed enough, don't have nearly enough responsibility, and can't really make those sorts of decisions. And while there's some truth to that, right? Kids develop. If you ever tried to explain theology to a little kid who just keeps asking why after, you know, like it's just really hard work. Like that's hard work. Theology is hard enough as it is apart from explaining it to a six-year-old, right? There's development issues there. 
But any time young people want to respond to the invitation of God, we must, we must, we must find ways to help them respond. We must. And that's a really incredible challenge for us. It's a, it's a challenge for us, I think, in lots of different places. But I think one of them is that what we tend to say is we think about the, the children as the future of the church. And, and to some degree they are, Right? Our children are hopefully the, the future leaders, the future pastors, the future stewards and Sunday school leaders and youth group leaders and elders and deacons and, and all that kind of stuff. Hopefully that's what our young people become. And so there's a time between now and then, between now and then taking up that responsibility. But what we end up doing is we say, well, they're the, the church of the future, which means that for now we can make sure church works for us. And so young people come to church and they kind of go, yeah, this is weird. And we go, well, if you stick around for 20 years and become, you know, leaders in the church, then you can make the necessary changes that you would like and make it for you. You know, one of the pieces of the heritage of this church is Christian Surfers, a movement that's now gone international that started out of this church uh, in the 70s. Uh, and and I, would, I would have loved to have gone back and seen how that worked. Uh, when I first arrived here at the church uh, in the late 90s, uh, Carl and I, the pastors at the time, and Angela and whatnot, we, we all wore ties every Sunday. That was the way you did it, right? And we weren't the only ones. After about 10 years, we were the only ones, and we stopped doing it, right? Imagine in the 70s. And then what happened? A bunch of surfers showed up to church. That's not right. You don't have covered shoes? What? You're wearing short. What's that Bing Tang T-shirt you're wearing? <laughs> right? Like, it's just not right. Did you shower before you came? Like, all that kind of stuff. And this church decided that they were willing to put up with that so that young people could come to faith. What are we willing to put up with for young people to come to faith? And to some degree, I don't know. This is not a soft way for me to introduce some horrible change that's going to take place starting next week, just as an aside. But if we're going to commit ourselves to helping young people own their faith and participate with what God is doing, then there will inevitably be changes. And some of those changes are not going to be comfortable for you and for me. They're just not. And so what I ask is, when we, when we change whatever has to change to help young people own their faith, can you, can you do two things? First of all, before you complain, come talk to me about it. Find out why we've made the change. Uh, and, and once you know who we've made the change for, before you complain, go and meet one of those people. Because once we know someone, it changes how much we're willing to put up with, doesn't it? I'm willing to put up with so much more for my kids than I am for some stranger. Right? Right? Uh, if I said to you that we have to radically overhaul uh, uh, how, how we do church so that some unknown children can come and become, become followers of Jesus, that's hard to swallow. But if your daughter, your son, your nephew, your niece, your neighbor, your grandchildren came to you and said, I want to go to church, you'd take them, wouldn't you? If they said, I want to go to the evening service, would you come to an evening service and put up with music that was not your style and far too loud? where you were standing by yourself because there was no one else your age, would you be okay with that? Let me answer for you, yes. Yes, you would. Your grandson says, I want to go to church? Yeah, I'm done. 
I'm happy to be uncomfortable for an hour and a half on a Sunday evening if you can find faith. Isn't that our response? What are we willing to put up with? We need to ask that question now because it's, something's going to happen. And we need to be prepared for that. And I think finally, I think for us, uh, we are also then called to be an example to our young people about what it means to actually own our faith. To own our faith. If that's what we want young people to do, if we want people to own their, young people to own their faith and participate with, the, with what God is inviting them to do, then you and I are under obligation to be examples of what it means to own our faith and what it means to respond to the invitation of God. How's that for a challenge? You know, so let me, give you, let me kind of ground it for you. I mentioned before that young people find their lives quite stressful and therefore coping with stress is, a, is an area of personal concern. Well, it's also a personal concern for us. So how do you handle stress? And if your only answer is to have a glass of Chardonnay, not that there's anything wrong with a glass of Chardonnay, but if that's your only answer, if there's never any component of faith, if there's never any concept of bringing that before God, if there's never any, anything that's related to faith, what kind of an example does that set? How do we talk about mental health from the perspective of faith? How do we talk about stress? How do we talk about work in relationship to our faith? Because that's what this is all about. Talking with your children. It's not just about going through the law. Okay, children, today we're going to talk about Deuteronomy 9 and the Sabbath regulations. Are you ready? We're going to talk about it while we walk along the road. And when you lie down, I'm going to write them on the door frames. It's going to be great. That's not it. It's about having a living, vibrant, real faith that's ours, which means that in every circumstance, in every situation, in all that we do, our faith is evident. There's the challenge. You know, if, if, if the next Christian surfers, whatever that is, happens, and we end up inundated with young people who are exploring faith and finding Jesus, and we're putting up with all sorts of weird stuff, and we're seeing great things happen because of what God's Spirit is doing, are young people going to be able to look to you and say, you know what you're doing, can you help me grow? Are they going to be able to turn to you and say, I, how do you pray? I don't know how to pray. I see you pray. Can you show me how you pray? Uh, you, you seem to have a really, you, you talk a lot about devotions and, and, and how meaningful it is. I, I read the Bible and it's dry ass. Can you help me with this? You, know, you seem to be able to handle stress and you work in this really complicated field and yet you find it, you find faith to be really helpful. Can you help me work that out? Because I'm at uni and I'm up to my eyeballs and I have no idea how to integrate my faith with, with, with what I'm doing. Are they going to be able to look to us? Are we going to be ready? So when they say, show me, help me, we're going to go, yeah, I'm good with that. I've been thinking about coping with stress as a follower of Jesus for 30 years. And these are the things I've learned. Here are the 55 mistakes I've made as well. So try to avoid those. Right? Are we going to be ready? This, this I think, is the, the incredible opportunity that we have. Because there's a, a, whole, there's a whole generation of young people out there who interestingly are far more open to faith than their parents are. Here's what's happened. Young people today, their parents left church and they're antagonistic to church. A lot of young people are just curious about it. They're ambivalent towards it. And all they hear is what the community feeds them. But they're actually really open to faith. 
So here's our opportunity. A whole generation who are kind of meh about faith. And we have an opportunity to show them what a relationship with the living Jesus looks like. Pretty remarkable chance, I think. And one that I think is worth thinking through and praying about and trying to sort ourselves out before too long. So there'll be more challenges down the road. I think that's enough for us to start with. I'm going to invite Jodes up. We're going to actually take a moment to pray for our young people. I figured that'd be a, way, a good way to respond today. But can I just say, as she comes up and the worship team joins, that when I spoke briefly to, um, to Matt um, about what we wanted to kind of do out of this, there were two areas that we thought that we would look to explore over the course of the year. One of them in relationship to mental health is to run a handful of mental health not courses, but you know, kind of how do you, information nights to help people understand mental health, to figure out you know, how we can help and when we probably should refer on and how to understand those sorts of circumstances, not just for young people, but across the board. So kind of look out for that. And the second way is that we actually want to take some time, we're going to pray for them now, but to pray for our young people, particularly around two events over the course of this year. And those are the two camps that they go on, one in March and one in October. Uh, and we're going to basically be asking you to be willing to put your hand up to pray uh, for a young person the week leading up to camp and over the course of camp and maybe into the following week. And just commit to pray for them. Just commit to pray for them. Commit to pray for them, whether you just know their name and whatever year they're in, just to commit them to the Lord. Uh, you may never meet them. We're not going to do kind of adopt, a, adopt another kid thing. That's just complicated and weird, but uh, we'll kind of figure that as we go along. So there's a couple things to look forward to as we continue to look for intergenerational opportunities, but I'm going to hand over to Joe to lead us in a time of prayer. Thanks, Mark. Well, it's a really interesting topic, isn't it? Hearing where youth are at today. And it was really interesting last year, myself and Barb Higgins, we... Uh, led a youth life group, uh, part of GBC community, and we sort of asked them about the challenges and struggles uh, they faced. And it was all this kind of stuff. And it was interesting because I think from Barb's perspective, from her generation, you got married, you, you got a job and you stayed in it for the whole rest of your life. And then you, you know, it was all just black and white in set and forget. Whereas kids these days are just going through so much change, so much uncertainty. Like, it is mind-boggling. It is it's so easy to write off the youth and tell them just to grow up and muscle up. I used to eat rocks for breakfast and I worked in a coal mine for 400 years. And we can so easily invalidate their experiences. But I think being young these days, which we've all gone through, and you can remember that anxiety and the awkwardness, like, who am I? Like, I've oh, mum and dad, get away from me, you're so embarrassing, you know, all, all that stuff as we're trying to grow as a person. But being young these days is almost like living on Mars. It's so, such a different experience and there's so many unseen pressures and expectations that is completely different to what we have grown up and experienced. Uh, I honestly don't know how they do it because the amount of technology and busyness and things that are going on, I, I would cave under the pressure that they are experiencing now. There was an article I read earlier this week and it, uh, it was from a different Western nation and it was a youth group and uh, one of the youth leaders did a sort of survey. He, he asked for the, the youth team, or the group that were there, the kids to come up and write up on the board the words that expressed and explained their life. And these were kids from all different backgrounds, not necessarily from church families or Christian families. And these are the words that they wrote which just absolutely blew him away. They described their lives as... Stressful, complicated, over-involved, full of transitions, anxiety, 
uncertainty, pressure, exhaustion. It's exhausting just hearing those words. And this is going on in the little people and the young people of our world. It's amazing. It's amazing. So can I ask you just for now to think of the the young people that you have in your life. Maybe it's grandkids, nieces, nephews. You have children yourself. Maybe the neighbours or community groups you're involved with. Or if you don't have any particular kids that you're connected with, think about our own GBC youth. Here's them at their camp last year. And it's not just limited to these guys. We have Kids Zone on Sundays, Jam, Edge on Wednesday evenings, Playtime that runs through the week. There's a whole bunch of kids that are connected to this community and in your lives. And the question is, what are we willing to put up with? Because it's so easy to go, oh, that annoys me. Don't do it like us. This is the way you should do it. But when we are willing to put up with things, we open the door for things as well. And when we're reluctant to do things, we're shutting down those opportunities. So can we take a moment and maybe with the people next to you or someone where you're comfortable or maybe by yourself, whatever you feel comfortable with, to pray for the youth that are connected to you and to this church. Can I ask that of you? We're just going to take a minute now. So maybe with the person next to you or who you feel comfortable with. Let's pray for the youth.